Formosa Files is sponsored by the Frank C. Chen Cultural Foundation. Frank Chen, Chen Qi Tuan, served as the mayor of Kaohsiung City from 1960 to 1968 and founded the Kaohsiung Medical College. Formosa Files. Today, we're going to explore the history of golf in Taiwan. And it's worth noting that neither of us are golf fans, so apologies to the golfers out there for a lack of technical uh, know-how. We won't get deep into the weeds of uh, birdies, uh, eagles, uh, ostriches, (laughs) whatever it is. Uh, John, you've actually played golf, right? Just a couple of times. My Scottish mother tells me it's a part of my heritage. We Scots invented golf and whiskey, she says. But if you've played golf, you'll know why you need to drink whiskey. Okay. I have not played the game, which raises a fair question. Why are we doing an episode on golf? Multiple reasons. There are some good stories related to golf, but mainly it's because Taiwan's oldest golf course is at my favorite historical location in Taiwan, the hill overlooking Danshui. Okay. Coming from New Zealand, I thought your favorite might be Fort Zlandia in Amping. Uh, my second favorite. They've both got great history, but Danshui wins uh, for the views, you know, across the Danshui River and uh, Guanyin Mountain. Beautiful and unbeatable location. Yeah, it is pretty. And uh, Englishman Owen Rudder, who visited Taiwan in 1921, he had the same opinion. Rudder was a colonial administrator and later a rubber planter in Borneo. He got this official invitation from the Japanese authorities and he wrote a travelogue of his brief visit. So picture this, right? It's the spring of 1921. He's up at the hill in Danshui visiting the British consul. The consulate is next to the old Dutch fort, first built by the Spanish, actually, in the 1600s and still known as Fort San Domingo. Nearby, there's tons of history. There's Oxford College, Christ's College, the first Western schools on the island. And there's the Huwei Fort, built in 1888 by the Qing in response to the Sino-French War that had occurred just a few years earlier. Rutter spent a delightful afternoon at the consul's house near the consulate and the fort, sitting, quote, in the drawing room and gloried in the cherry fire that was burning in the grate, end quote. It felt like a piece of England, but the magnificent garden uh, was a mix of the temperate strawberries and sweet peas and the subtropical bananas, papayas and hibiscus, a gardener's paradise, he called it. After tea, Rudder and the consul, they went for a walk through the garden up the hill and Rudder writes, to my surprise, we suddenly walked on to a golf tee. I was just starting a eulogy on the enterprising Britisher who makes a golf course wherever he goes when he stopped me. No, not a bit of it, he said. It's Japanese. For some reason, it had never occurred to me that the Japanese played golf, anyhow, in Formosa, but they do. Moreover, they have a nine-hole course at Danshui, at which large numbers from Taihoku, or Taipei, come and play. And I learned that no foreigners are allowed to join their club. This fact struck me with rather unpleasant force. It seemed that the Japanese were not quite so indulgent to the stranger who dwells within their midst as they were to the casual passerby. But it is only fair to add that since 1922, a new rule has been made and foreigners are now allowed to play. Rutter was in Taiwan in 1921 
and there's already a golf course. I understand his surprise. Golf had only really started in Japan a few years earlier. And from there, it came to Taiwan. Yes, but there's also a nice little Philippine angle to this story, uh, Manila to be exact. So picture this, it's April 1918, Taipei. Matsuoka Tomio, owner of the Taiwan News and a big sugar industry guy, he has returned to Taipei from Manila and he's dining with the colony's top leaders, telling them that in Manila, golf was the new fashionable leisure activity for the upper class. It's worth remembering that the Philippines was an American colony at this time, and the Japanese kept a close eye on it. In a way, Taiwan was competing against the Philippines. The Japanese had been given Formosa in 1895 after winning a war, and the Americans got the Philippines in 1898, also after winning a war. Yes. Anyway, after the meal of head honchos in Taipei, this Matsuoka Tomio presented as gifts to the Governor General of Taiwan and the Secretary General sets of golf clubs and uh, golf shoes made in Manila. Okay, so they've got the golf clubs, the golf shoes. Um, what do they do with them? The gods are shining on golf. The next month, Inoue Makoto, winner of the first amateur open golf game in Japan, in 1918, he visited Taiwan. Yes. And uh, during that visit, he was invited to the Ma Changding Parade Ground in Taipei to demonstrate and teach them how to play golf. The participants included the president of Taiwan Bank, the secretary general, the heads of various departments. Basically, all the Japanese government heads turn up at this military ground. In a way, Makoto asked for workers to remove the weeds in the field, and a few hours later, they had a temporary course. This Japanese golfer praised his hosts. It is unprecedented in the history of golf to complete a golf course in a few hours. <laughs> I would agree. Yeah, unprecedented. But okay, who goes first? <laughs> you know, uh, the Japanese are big on face. So yeah, the governor general, Shimomura Hiroshi, uh, he's the man. He played first and the others tried afterwards. Wow. Golf, golf is a steep learning curve. And the course, uh, as fast as it was created, it sounds still pretty rough. I'm picturing it in my mind, and I'm, I'm just guessing that those early attempts at learning were probably pretty ugly. Yeah, it was pretty ugly. Uh, lots of non-hits, mishits, balls flying wildly this way and that. But credit to them, uh, they had fun. The golf bug had bitten and uh, they wanted more. The players decided to build a formal golf course. A suitable location was found up in Danshui, and a six-hole course was completed on June 1st, 1919. The website for the golf course, the Danshui Golf and Country Club, says... 120 officers and civilians from Taipei were invited to the opening ceremony, with 40 of them attending on that day. 120 invited and 40 attending. Hmm, sounds like... Uh... It sounds like it wasn't all, all that popular, <laughs> but yeah. uh, they, did, they, they did try because you read further on, there's a nice little touch. It says, the general manager of Taiwan Bank donated lunchboxes to each of the attendants. Hmm, usually works. Later that year, 1919, the Taiwan Golf Club was officially founded. It was hard recruiting members, though. Golf was very new, the membership expensive, and there was a regular turnover of members uh, with them returning to Japan. So there were just half a dozen regulars. 
But progress continues. In 1922, a nine-hole course was completed, the website says, and the following year, a clubhouse was opened. Still low numbers, though. It says on holidays, the numbers of players increased to 14 or 15 people. That's very specific. 14 or 15. <laughs> yeah, the course was expanded. And in 1929, it's an 18-hole course, power of 72, a total length of 6,000 yards. It was mostly high-ranking Japanese officials playing there, but a few local players started to join the fun. Soon after, new golf clubs were established in central Taiwan, Hualien, and Tainan. Yeah, and then World War II arrives, and then the course has many more than 18 holes. Ouch, yeah, uh, bomb craters, yeah. Yeah, it was a strategic military site and was actually the target of American bombers. Gavin Phipps, writing in the Taipei Times, says... U.S. bombing raids aimed at the Japanese defensive positions in the Danshui area managed to destroy the entire back nine holes. You break it, you buy it, or something like that. After the war, um, 1952 to be exact, the American military in Taiwan took over the course and used it as a social club uh, and also a golf course. It was open for Taiwanese who wanted to play. But first, yeah, it needed fixing, filling in the bomb craters, the deep tank trenches and, and such. The golf course soon became an important part of recreation for the many American servicemen in Taiwan. There's this guidebook published in 1958 by the United States Department of Defense. It's called A Pocket Guide to Taiwan. And in this little booklet, various recreational activities are mentioned. It says uh, you can head to the ocean and swim at the clean, beautiful and unspoiled ocean beaches near Danshui. Or you can soak, it says, in the hot springs of Beitou. And, quote, about 15 minutes northwest from Beitou is Danshui, ancient stronghold of the Spanish. This drive along the winding Danshui River shore dotted with colorful fishing villages is one of the prettiest in the area. Dotted with colorful fishing villages. Well, uh... It's a forest of high-rise apartments today, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yes. It is densely crowded, incredibly. And of the golf course, this little 1958 guide says, quote, With the golf course goes a handsome little clubhouse, well-stocked with good Western-type food and drink, and a complete line of golfing equipment. As a serviceman or woman, your membership fee will be considerably less than that of other members. On the golf course and in the clubhouse, you'll be associating closely with Chinese. You may find, as you may elsewhere on Taiwan, that their standards of play and rules of sportsmanship differ slightly from your own. Huh. So that's kind of weird, John. Uh, rules of play, sportsmanship may differ. What, what do you think that last part means? Uh, I hope it doesn't mean cheating. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't know. Uh, perhaps difference to authority and age? Um, relationships being more important than rules. So if you're playing with the boss and his ball goes into the rough. <laughs> yeah, that sounds plausible. Okay. Here's another interesting passage from the guidebook. Quote, the course has some unique hazards. Not infrequently, livestock from surrounding farms wander onto the fairways. Should your ball strike one of these animals so violently that it dies, an unwritten rule requires you to pay for the animal, but does not give you the carcass. Uh, Eric, can you, can you read that uh, last sentence again? An unwritten ground rule requires you to pay for the animal, 
but mm-hmm. does not give you the carcass. That's generous. It's kind of incentivizing people to uh, kill chickens with golf balls. Mm, but all right, I, I guess it's a tribute to the honesty of the, the local people. Right. During the years that the Americans ran that golf course, 1952, right up to 1978, when Washington switched diplomatic recognition and withdrew military personnel, the course was visited by some high profile people, famous golfers, politicians, businessmen, military men. Yeah, I've got a couple of unusual examples for you. I've seen a picture of U.S. astronaut Neil Armstrong at the clubhouse. He came to Taiwan in December 1969, just five months after stepping on the moon. Neil Armstrong. Okay, that's kind of strange. Do you know what he was doing here? Uh, He was with uh, Hollywood comedian Bob Hope giving a Christmas show for U.S. servicemen in Taiwan. A big concert was held at the uh, Taoyuan Airport. And uh, another person is Benjamin Oliver Davis Jr., a United States Air Force General, the commander of the World War II, I don't know how to say it, is it Tuskegee, Tuskegee, Tuskegee. Airmen? Ah, the Tuskegee Airmen, a famous Air Force group of uh, African-American pilots, a fighter escort force for bombers who served with great distinction in Europe. Davis was a fighter pilot and was one of the first black pilots to see combat, a real pioneer in the American military. Davis was sent to Taiwan in the summer of 1955. Pretty interesting times to be here. The Brigadier General uh, at this stage, he liked the country and the people and uh, yeah, developed friendships with uh, locals. He enjoyed the food and the golf. To quote, although my life on Taiwan was busy, I always found time to play on the championship course at Dan Shui. So he left in 1957, but made a few visits afterwards. And yeah, each time it seems he found some time for golf. In 1961, he remarked on seeing Chinese or Taiwanese women playing golf. Good to see. Though for local people, golf was mostly for the elite, the the high ranking and rich. Gaorfu. Ah, nice. High and rich. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, golf translated into Mandarin. It's a transliteration. But literally, it's gao, like tall or high, er, and fu, rich, cho, ball. But you could get on the Danshui course and work your way up from the bottom. You didn't have to be wealthy necessarily. Some locals had part-time jobs there. In particular, there were teenage boys working as caddies. Yeah, the golf course website has some great old pictures, including a a photo from Christmas of 1952, that first year the Americans ran the club. There's uh, the manager, a coach, various other staff in the picture, and some young caddies, local boys. Among these caddies is Lu Liang Huan, who would go on to have a successful international career as a golfer. Yes, he would. Lu was born in 1936 into a poor family in the Danshui area. He became interested in golf as a schoolboy after taking a job as a caddy. He couldn't afford clubs of his own, so he began learning the sport using clubs he made out of bamboo and using small guavas for golf balls. Those must have been really small guavas. The money from his caddy job was to help pay for living expenses, but he was finally able to buy his first set of clubs with prize money from winning several tournaments held for the the caddies at the golf club. Lou's first big win was in 1959 when he won the inaugural Hong Kong Open, the first of many tournaments he would win in Asia. 
there had been local golfers achieving success on the Asian competition circuit, but no one had made a mark in the West. Lou changed that in 1971 at the British Open. Uh, the British Open is one of the four major tournaments. It was Lou's second PGA Open, I think. He was up against one of golf's all-time greats, American Lee Trevino, who was in the form of his life at that summer in 1971. Trevino had just defeated Jack Nicholas to win the U.S. Open, the Canadian Open, and here he is dominating the British Open. Lou had some reason for a bit of self-confidence, though, because he'd actually played against Trevino when Trevino was a U.S. Marine stationed in Okinawa. And Lou had actually also beaten Trevino one time in Taiwan. The Taiwanese player doesn't have home game advantage uh, in England, though. But incredibly, the relative unknown had the British crowd on his side. He stood out as an Asian, but also for his distinctive bright blue pork pie hat. He'd bought it a few days earlier when he saw the forecast was for sunny weather. It's not much protection from the sun. It's a, like a pie, as the name suggests. You can see a picture of this uh, hat on our website. Lou won the crowd over with his friendly demeanor uh, and his politeness. After the watching crowd applauded his plays, he would acknowledge them by raising his pork pie hat and bowing to them. The commentators and public affectionately called him Mr. Lou. The British Open, like others, is a four-day event. Trevino shared the lead on each of the first two days and led by one from Lou after the third. So the final day, the final round, Trevino started strong, four birdies in the first six holes. He built up a staggering six-stroke lead, but Lou made a late charge, birdies at the 13th and 15th holes, and then Trevino stumbled. A disastrous 17th hole, double bogey at the 17th. So going into the last hole, he had a one-shot lead. Mr. Lou's drive sailed into the rough, and he had to stand in the sand below the ball. He took a huge swing with his five wood, falling backwards in his follow-through. His shot hooked into the watching crowd nearby, hitting a spectator named Lillian Tipping, uh, hitting her on the forehead. Ow. She was left concussed when Mr. Lou went over to see what happened. He was horrified, uh, visibly upset. Yeah, I'm sure. He, he must have wondered if he'd killed her. Uh, looking on the bright side, she's not dead. <laughs> and the ball has ricocheted back onto the fairway. Mr. Lou gathered his nerves, deep breaths, focus, and he birdied the last hole. But so did Trevino, uh, winning him the British Open by a stroke. Lou came runner-up. Mm, that is indeed a very close game. And uh, these papers that I've been looking at says afterwards, Lou went to the hospital to see this Mrs. Tipping, but she had already been discharged. The following week, however, Lou's playing at the French Open and a message arrives at his hotel. Mr. Lou, I am OK, she writes. Get many birdies this week. She actually sent him daily telegrams wishing him good fortune and he took the title, the first Taiwanese golfer, first Asian, I think, to win a European title. And the next year, together with his countryman, Xie Minan, went on to win the World Cup. Not, not of soccer, of course. <laughs> uh, uh, later, he treated that woman uh, he had hit, uh, Lillian Tipping, her and uh, her husband, to an all-expenses-paid trip to Taiwan. And in the following years, they exchanged Christmas cards. Hmm. 
one of the better stories I've ever heard about getting hit in the head with a golf ball. Hmm. So Mr. Lou, the champion, he passed away at the age of 85 in March of 2022. Not just a, a great golfer, but a great man. Uh, he did a lot of work to promote Taiwan and golf and helped young golfers chase their dreams. Another major figure to raise the profile of golf, of course, was uh, Lee Dung Hui, mayor of Taipei from 1978 and later, of course, vice president and then president from 1988 until 2000. He was a very keen golfer. You might think that he picked it up during his time studying in Japan, but no, actually, it was much later when he was in his 40s. And it was in the United States where he got the bug. He was there to do a doctorate, a PhD in agricultural economics at Cornell University. That's in New York, isn't it? Yes, but New York State, not New York City. So quite rural, a beautiful location, and it has its own 18-hole golf course. He stayed there for three years, 1965 to 1968, turbulent times on campuses in the U.S., but Lee says his stay taught him about American democracy, how robust it was under pressure, and uh, it taught him to love golf. In the summer of 1995, Lee, now President Lee at this point, made a dramatic return to Cornell. He was there for an alumni event. He'd been invited to give a speech, and there was a bit of drama, I recall, um, as to whether the U.S. government would uh, issue him a visa to come to America for a visit. Because as you know, of course, uh, this would be a move likely to anger China. Well, yeah, a move uh, which China would decide to get angry about. Yeah. Very angry. Angry enough to start, quote unquote, testing missiles, firing missiles near Taiwan. That was the following month and brought on what's called the third Taiwan Strait crisis. In Cornell, his June 9th speech was on Taiwan's democratization experience. He started his speech saying how happy he was to return to his beloved campus. And he says, I quote, as I was about to board my plane to come here two days ago, some friends suggested that since I learned how to play golf at Cornell, I should take some time out and play a round or two with my friends here on this trip. These rounds, they suggested, should be called the U.S. Open. Open to Lee Dunghui, that is. <laughs> huh, uh, well, I don't quite get the joke. Is it his, uh, his ability is not that good or uh, the open uh, is a reference to entry to the U.S.? Yeah, open to me, yes. Okay. Anyway, the Chinese uh, Communist Party reacted uh, angrily, as you might imagine, to the speech, calling him a traitor, a splittist, and a Japanese. <laughs> Japanese, they, they have a hang up about that, don't mm. they? You know, although Lee uh, learned golf in New York State, uh, there's an indirect Japanese connection of sorts to his golf life. Okay. As you know, he was studying in Japan during the war and also called up for some uh, defensive military duties. Yep, that's right. And his older brother, Lee Dong-hui's older brother, was actually in the Japanese Imperial Navy and was killed, I believe, by uh, um, an American attack. Mm-hmm. After the war, Lee Dong-hui decided to return to Taiwan, and in the spring of 1946, he got passage on a ship headed for the port of Geelong. They made an unscheduled stop to drop off a sick passenger, but otherwise arrived in Geelong without incident. But there was unwelcome news awaiting them. The port authorities had been notified by telegram that that sick passenger had smallpox highly uh, deadly infectious disease. So all the passengers had an agonizing wait, a 20-day quarantine. 
but it worked out well for Lee. He and another passenger named He Jiming, they became friends. Uh, he would later be Lee Dunghui's good golf buddy, and they would play the Danshui course together. And this He, in his later years, was the president of the, the Danshui Golf Club. So quarantine buddies and then golf buddies. And fellow students at uh, Taiwan's top university, Taida. And during the 228 crackdown, Lee Donghui took shelter in uh, a building owned by the uh, her family. So he and Ho were kind of regular golfing buddies. Yeah. Lee's various high offices meant he had to give up some leisure pursuits, but he managed to make time on weekends for golf. This has been fascinating, but John, we're running out of time. There are still some great stories and controversies related to golf that we haven't covered. There's the growth of golf courses around the island, including here in Kaohsiung, and Taiwan's place as the leading manufacturer of golf equipment um, of all sorts. But that's going to have to wait for a future episode. Thanks so much for listening to Formosa Files. I'm Eric Michael Smith. I'm John Ross. 